Joanne Rogers, what a treat it is to see you, and what a fantastic year. Congratulations. 50 years since the beginning of the neighborhood. It's amazing. You and and me, Jim. You and me. It's been years that we've known each other. Well, you know, I started as an intern on the Mr. Rogers program in January of 1974. I don't think I knew that. So uh, that's my first WQED experience. David Chen hired me and he said, you're going to be on the crew and uh, you're going to sweep up. (laughs) And that's what I did, among among other things. But I spent most of my time with uh, Frank Warninski and and Nikki Tallow on the the crew. And when... uh, when Johnny Costa played a little arpeggio, I let helium balloons go from behind the castle of King Friday the 13th oh, at some wonderful. point. So it really was great. And that was the magic for me. I thought, this place is unbelievable. This is where I want to work. It's been a dream come true ever since. And it was really Fred that so inspired me. I was so happy to hear that because I thought you came directly to, FM, uh, to the FM station. Well, uh, Jack Summers was in his first year as the director of the station, and I thought radio was amazing. And I'd done radio, and I thought this place has both television and radio, and I I, I guess I just plugged into the feeling, the purpose of it all. I want to thank you because you have worked so hard and been so well-loved, and nobody wants to do away with a good music station, and it's because of you. And... I just have always been so grateful for for your life there. Well, you're too kind. Thank not you so at all, much. Not at all. And uh, I really mean it. You and your family have inspired me all along the way and made me feel like it was home. Now, uh, how does it feel this uh, 50th anniversary year? The film, the PBS special, a stamp from the U.S. Postal Service, and there's more to come. Yeah, that was. I think the the, the stamp was. In, in some ways, that was a huge tribute because it was coming from outside the neighborhood. And, uh, and I thought they do a, did a fabulous job uh, with their ceremony. I thought it was, a, they were yeah. a class act. And it's nice that the Postal Service uh, director is a woman, the yes. first ever, and I think yes. that's pretty spectacular. Yes. Now, what did you think of the documentary that Morgan Neville made, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Well, I don't know that I'm very objective. I think it's... I think it's a work of art. I think it's, uh, I was, it was just magic to me. It was a magic hour and 34 minutes. Uh, I, I loved every, every second of it. Maybe except, you know, seeing myself, I, I squint a little bit and turn away. But that, everybody does that when they see themselves, I think. Well, there must have been something left on the cutting room floor that you wish was in it. <laughs> what what didn't get in the film that you oh, thought should have been in there? You know, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's Morgan's film, Morgan Neville. He's a brilliant man. Um, he grew up with the program. He knows the program well. And he wanted, he was trying to get not Fred's biography, but his ideas, his philosophy, uh, and and I think he did a fabulous job of that. There were, he told me that th- there was an awful lot on the floor, on the cutting room floor. There was a very lot because they did lots and lots of um, interviews, and and uh, he just, you know, he he knew what he wanted, and when that happened, he was very very. Um, 
he, he was very grateful that he had such wonderful archives. He said it was a treasury. It was as if this was sitting there waiting for somebody to come and say, hey, I think I'll make a film, you know. Well, of course, one thing for me that was missing was I would have loved to have seen more of the musical staff. They were in the PBS documentary, which was nice. Yes. But of course, and, that's, and that was, you know, that's a nice thing, too, because that was just wonderful, that PBS documentary. And they kind of complement each other in many ways. What's not on one is sometimes on the other. Uh, I like that about it. You've been able to say, and I guess we did have uh, Joe Negri. Uh, Joe, yes. of course, is still uh, going strong. Oh, he and is. I, I miss Johnny Costa so much. But who else from the music staff is still with us? Is it uh, the, the drummer, Mr. Rothsorn, is still around, I think? Uh, and, well, yes, they're, they're around, but they're not so, um, I, they don't work out very, I, I so, really honestly don't know. Yeah. Joe's the only one I know who really is still working right, here. Right. And uh, I don't know where the others, others are, are having their talents uh, shown. Well, because heard. music was at the core of oh. Fred and you, it was part of the success of the program, and it no isn't always mentioned. It was sophisticated music. Uh, Johnny Costa you know, studied composition at CMU. Yes, and yes. Uh, I, I just think it was really, it was never dumbed down. Johnny was, Johnny was the best. At, at the kind of music that, that Fred loved to write. And um, they, they just worked wonderfully together. And I know that when John died, Fred thought he couldn't do the program anymore for a while. He just, he just didn't see how he could. And uh, Michael Moritz uh, came along and bless his heart, uh, he did, he did his very best, and he did a fabulous job, I think, uh, of using what he could of Johnny's work and adding, adding to it a little bit. He's coming back to QED next week to uh, lead the staff in a sing-along of oh, Won't You Be My he? Neighbor, so we'll give him oh, your regards, oh, that's oh, for oh, sure. Oh, please do. <laughs> I love him dearly. Now, the film suggests that Daniel Striped Tiger is expressing Fred's thoughts, but then later seems to suggest that uh, Fred also is heard in King Friday the 13th. So which is it? Both. I think he's heard in all of them. But I, but I just think that Daniel expressed his inner feelings, personal feelings, uh, in, in the way that only Daniel could. Yeah. You know. And I noticed... Lady Elaine, he, he certainly was part Lady Elaine. We've seen that in having fun together, you know. But there was a laugh in the Manor Theater in Squirrel Hill. Is it Fred's sister that was reflected in yes. Lady Elaine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was sort of crabby. <laughs> she said, at first, she was a witch. And then she says, what can I say? <laughs> it was darling, the, the way they got that. I, that was very clever. So Lady Elaine is reflecting things Fred knew about his sister. That was definitely, well, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, to some extent maybe. But <laughs> yes, Laney was always fun. And yeah. it was fun to see the boys, your sons, yes. in, in, in the film and talking yes. about their dad. And their life can't have always been easy. Uh, who was it that said, it's, 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 you know, it's like uh, yes. having the second Christ uh, because your, their father was so beloved. Yes, um, 
I think that that was John. Um, I think uh, that the filmmakers were very careful about that, and uh, because of Nicholas Ma, who's a producer of of the film, and uh, Nicholas said uh, they want to ask your boys, and I want to talk to you first about it. And he said he really relates to them, and uh, and he can understand that you know, what difficulties they probably had with sharing a famous dad, so. Well, I want to get back to the, the uh, documentary just uh, a little bit more, but I also wanted to ask you about the Fred Rogers beginning at WQED in 1954 when the station started. Yes. What do you remember from those days? Because there are some elements of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that come directly from that. Uh, wasn't Dorothy Daniel? Uh, yes, she was the, the manager, the station manager at that time. And uh, Leland Hazard was the executive director, I suppose. Uh, he was the one who really started the station. Uh, and he was a, uh, a very, very... Uh, intellectual man. Uh, he he was an, a, a lawyer, and but he was he was very serious man, and he was very intellectual. Uh, he was um, what is the word I want? He could be um, when you're a little bit scared of somebody. Uh, imposing. Imposing. He was an attorney. Yes, and and he 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 had the. Uh, they had the feeling, you know, you don't mess around with Leland. <laughs> so um, he was—he really was Fred's mentor as well. Uh, I think he and his wife felt that they were involved in, in mentoring the people who were trying to get this thing going. Well, I think you ask about the very beginning. I think it was chaos, <laughs> pretty much. I can remember their going out on the street and pulling people in to do the um, uh, microphones that were on long poles. What were those called? The boom. Yeah, the booms. They would get them to come in and do, because somebody didn't show up or something happened. I remember a time that the Kilty Band was playing in the big studio over, over on uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, the first one. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Sure. The corner of whatever it was. Yeah. And um, it's now the Pitt Music Building. That's right. That's right. Uh, and and they, there was a great big studio, and they had the Kilty Band playing, and the director could not hear the 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 cameraman, nor could they hear him. And so he. He was desperate, and he just said to one of the cameramen, take over. <laughs> and they had part of, part of the show was the Kilty Band. Part of it was back on the other side. He just panned the whole wall, going a huge, long wall, just panned it, the whole thing. <laughs> and I remember just getting so tickled. <laughs> it was funny what it, the things that happened, you know. And Fred wore sneakers because he had to hop from one place to the other in the studio? Yes, and, and he always had money or something in his pockets that would jingle. So he would be holding his pockets and running in, across the studio in his sneakers to the organ so he could play. And it was uh, 
children's program, children's it corner that children's started. Corner. That was day one. Uh, uh, well, it was yes, I guess with, it did with Fred, start. The very it. first thing that I he think did? so. It was the first thing he did it, and Josie. Josie, so, so you, you remember him coming home and talking about how crazy it was and trying to get a uh, television for... Yes, yes, because, you know, they'd, they'd pull him in to do things because at least he had some experience at, at uh, NBC. He had gone there as a, in, in an apprenticeship that he worked on one thing, uh, on, on the producing end of the program, and then he'd work on the directing end of the program, and he learned to direct because of that at that time it was very different uh direction wise and uh and so sometimes they would they would call on him to to do things they had told him at nbc why on earth what what are you thinking of to leave here you could do you will be able to do anything you want you you can have any kind of job you want here because you're here so early and, of course, I have to ask you a little about the NBC experience that he had because it involved so many interesting things. Giancarlo Manotti's yeah, All of the Night yes, Visitors. Yes, the first, first, very first uh, production of it. And uh, it, it, I wasn't with him at that time. That was a year before we were married. Uh, but I think, and he's talked about it a lot, it must have been a very exciting thing. It's interesting. There was another Pittsburgher, Rudy Fellner. Did you ever meet Rudy? Rudy? Fel yes. He was working there too. He at was NBC. working. He was directing the orchestra in the in the uh, the opera orchestra. He wrote a book called Great Opera Plots, and then taught at CMU, and he was a QED yes. FM host yeah. for a while too. Quite a personality, yeah. Rudy was. Did they ever meet here in Pittsburgh? Did they ever get oh, back yes. together? Oh yes. Oh yes, they did. Yeah. They did. And did he ever? Did Fred ever share anything about Kate Smith working on the Kate Smith oh, Hour? Oh, he did. He did, because he came home and he said. You don't call her Kate. You call her Miss Smith. <laughs> so he, yes, he'd come home with with stories about all these, and he had a, even in that day. He he didn't know a lot of the people that I knew, people who were on the hit parade, and he would come home and say, "Have you ever heard of so and so?" Uh, I'm trying to think of a one. I can't. Nothing comes to my peg. Uh, very famous singers. And I would say, oh, yes. Did you work with her? Yes, yes, today. <laughs> and when did the encounter with Gabby Hayes happen in which well, uh, he, he was, gave him advice that was he important? Was, he was learning the directing end at that time, so he was doing floor managing. And he floor managed Gabby Hayes' program. And, and he had a chance to talk to him, and he said, Gabby Hayes, you know, this very cowboy accent of, with everything and he's the one who told Fred um, he he said Mr. Hayes what are you thinking about when when you're when you're out talking to the children and he said Freddie I think about one little buckaroo and you know Fred thought about one little buckaroo too pretty much yeah and uh, he was interested in Gabby Hayes because Gabby Hayes seemed like such a a countryman. He said Gabby Hayes couldn't wait to leave the program to go home and get on his, his get on his tux and go to the opera. He was a huge opera fan, I didn't and know. and that that interested Fred about him. 
Sure. Yeah. Where did Fred's love of opera come from? I don't know, but he, I don't know. I think I, because he didn't, as I, I didn't grow up with it. And I never developed a great love of opera because of that, I think. Fred didn't grow up with it either, but he knew it. Maybe from broadcasts, but he, but his family also took him to the opera. Fred went to see Carmen with his fam, his grandmother and his mother, and maybe even the great grandmother. And so they're sitting there, and they they're getting tired. And they said, you know, don't don't you think we could go now, Freddie? Couldn't uh, people are getting kind of tired? And he said, no. I came to see him kill her, and I'm going to stay here until he does. <laughs> until she does it. That's definitely one of the one of the biggest. Doesn't feelings sound of like Fred, does no, it? <laughs> it doesn't. But, Used to tickle me though. Sure, and and, and uh, the opera figured into the programs of the neighborhood. Yes. We had John Reardon and Josephine the Longnecked Giraffe and really Francois them. Clemens all yes. appeared on the stage. Yes, they had wonderful. I mean, even something called. Uh, what was it about the opera? Not the lawn, all in the laundry. I remember that's one that I laughed about a lot. Uh, Betty Aberlin and, and John Reardon were in that one. They were very funny. <laughs> and did you get to know John Reardon? He was on numerous programs. He was in college with us. So I knew him at Rollins. And then um, there came a time in his career when he needed somebody to accompany him on tour, and I did some of that for him, so I got to know him quite well. And how did Fred connect with Francois Clemens? <laughs> Again, that was me. Um, I was, I've always loved to sing in choruses, and uh, I was singing in the choir at Third Presbyterian Church. Yes, Third Presbyterian Church. And, um, Francois was was one of the, was the tenor soloist there, and so I told Fred about him, and uh, and so he began to notice Francois's singing, and uh, and he he came and asked him to come in and see him, and uh, and Francois tells the story from there, which is very very amusing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing in the film that. We have the sequence of Fred and Francois with their feet in the little pool yes. of, of yes. water. And that was so far programs, yeah. ahead of its time. Amazing. So far and yet so far back in, in history uh, of the foot washing yes. uh, type yeah. uh, ceremonies in, in churches that, were, that goes back for all of Christ's time. So... But of course, it's still an issue today. Uh, we're still dealing with the issues that yes, are. Yes, of course. The reason he did it uh, was because of the problems right. of that time. And then he, then I, I didn't remember that that he had done it again when Francois, Francois was doing his last program with him. And uh, yeah. I think he must have been going to Middlebury College at that point, or or going on tour with the Harlem Spiritual Ensemble. Or. That was such a wonderful group. They were, no question. Yes. And you're reminding me, uh, Fred, 
at what point became an ordained minister? He was the first to carry forward the ministry from, from the television studio. Yes, yes. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and uh, uh, he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Yes, he was. And he was ordained by the Presbytery, ordained as an evangelist to do exactly what he was doing. So, to work with family and, families and children. And was... The Pittsburgh Theological Seminary claims that the neighborhood comes from the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor, that that's where the idea from, well, for the neighborhood came from. That's possible. <laughs> I really, I don't have that kind of real knowledge of it. Yeah. But uh, and Other formative things on, on the show, when did he first decide that he would have every day the changing of the sweater and the changing of the shoes coming in from work? I suspect that came from consultation with Margaret McFarland, who was at Pitt at the University at Child Development. And uh, she would have talked with him about the fact that children love uh, 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 what do you call it? Not tradition, but they, they love um, they love tradition, do you? Um, well, I think I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. They, they like things to be the same. same. You know, they, exactly. <laughs> they, want, they want things to be the same. Ordered. Ordered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and the, that makes them comfortable. And so I think that that's the reason. And I think he did it every day. I, he didn't just, they just didn't show a picture of it, a film. He, he actually did that. Yeah. And the sweaters were knitted by who? By his mom. His mom did them uh, as long as she lived, and uh, uh, she did them for everybody in the family, the close, close ones in the family. We all got them. And there's one at the Smithsonian. Where are the others? Yes. Do you have one here? Um, I don't think I have one here. Uh, the History Center came, the Heinz History Center people came just last week because they wanted to look and see. I, I invited them to come and see, see what they wanted for their, for their uh, archives there because, um, you know, they're just sitting there. So um, there were some things that came out, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, you can't have that. That, that will have to go to the archives and, at the center because it had his notes on it with writing on it. And, uh, yeah, and he had written them, written the notes, and he had written the notes in third person, yeah, but it was his writing. He wore this and uh, at such and such a time. Interesting. And he had very neat penmanship, a he unique did. style, and, and he wrote notes constantly it seems he's famous for writing thank you notes to people who wrote him thank you notes <laughs> that's right <laughs> where did that come from he was brought up right his parents that, said write a would, thank you that note. would be mom too that would be mom well, I want to ask about some of the famous musical guests. Uh, we've talked a little bit in the past about Van Cliburn. After we lost Van Cliburn, we spoke on the telephone, but I don't remember how did Van Cliburn get into the show? Well, he had come. I'm trying to think of there. Yes, there was a show. There was a, there was a show. 
he, he had come because he was a member of the, uh, he was a winner of the Leventritt Award, and, and a big, big award. And he had, he was, his award was to tour at, with the five or major orchestras in the country, and uh, five or six, and he came to Pittsburgh for one of them. And he was, I think he was 19. And uh, we knew someone at the symphony uh, at that time who called and said, oh, we have this young guy here and he, he really needs a place to practice on the weekend because the, they were gonna have the symphony ball that weekend. And everything was taken, all the, all the uh, they couldn't do it. He couldn't do it at Heinz Hall, and he couldn't do it here or there. So we said, sure, he can, he can practice here. Well, he came to practice, and you know, he was just like little brother. Uh, he was such fun, and we re we really enjoyed him a lot, and and it lasted forever. He appeared at least three times on the show. Yes, he did. He did. He appeared at at the 25th anniversary uh, that Douglas Nowicki, uh, the Archabbot, did uh, arrange to do at, at the 25th year that he was on the air. And he had it out at St. Vincent and had Eric Erickson here and a lot of, a lot of big, big names. And someone in the neighborhood of make-believe, was it King Friday, Lady Elaine, someone commanded that he play the piano up on the ceiling, upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that probably. was fun. Must be the only time Van Cliburn ever did that. <laughs> oh, probably Lady Elaine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you were able to stay in touch over the over, years. Yes, did you ever we see him were. in Texas? Later in his life, he didn't I, leave his home very much. I finally, he and his mom hung around. That's right. I finally got a chance to go to one of the uh, festivals, the piano uh-huh and uh, the next to last one that that it w that he was living and uh, that was such fun that was just a real joy and I was with him a lot then tell me about your teacher in Florida Ernst von Dochnani oh he was a he was an amazing amazing person and I th remember thinking he was so old and he was in his 70s at the time. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I, I did, I thought, I thought well, he's, he's quite, old. He, and he's quite amazing because he had such a twinkle in his eyes. He was not at all uh, too imposing. He was a very welcoming kind of person and shared everything. He, he loved to share stories and of all kind that that would occur to him it, when I was playing or, or having a lesson. And that was, you know, that was, if I'd only just taken notes, I, did, I, I remembered some of it and some of it just went away. But now when I hear certain names, I remember the story that went with it. A famous conductor or a famous uh, violinist that he knew and Huberman, I heard that name not too long ago, and I don't know what it was all about, what it was connected with, but uh, Huberman was a very famous Hungarian violinist, I believe, and Dukhnanyi 
met and fell in love with his wife. And he was married at the time himself to Christoph's mother, to Christoph's grandmother, I'm sorry. And he just dumped them all and <laughs> the, the two of them ran away. These hot-blooded musicians, yes. Joanne. <laughs> That's right, right. And uh, so um, he and that wife were together for a long, long time. Uh, and he actually, she had a son who was Huberman's son, and that boy loved Dukhani, and he finally adopted him. And then that boy died in the, in the war, in the Second World War, with the Hungarian army. And at this, within weeks, he heard of the death of his German son, Christoph's father, from, with the Nazis. So he'd had a hard life by the time I knew him. Yeah. Well, uh, and, didn't he change his name somewhere along the way? He was Erno von Dokhnani, Hungarian-born. Well, yes, I think Ernst was the German part of it. And I, he was, but then he, he left and went back to, to Hungary. I think, I, th I think he, I think he was Erno all in, his, in his own mind, yeah. always. And do you remember, were you working on Beethoven? Do you remember what music you were looking at with your Very teacher? Very much so. Beethoven, Schumann, um, even, uh, he didn't care for it much, but um, I'm trying to think. Uh, the one who wrote eight sonatas for piano, uh, a contem more contemporary, he's dead now, uh, begins with a P. I'm giving you all sorts of names. <laughs> it begins with a P. <laughs> it begins with a P. It'll come to us. <laughs> it's not Postovsky. <laughs> but he was, uh, he was Hungarian. Yeah. Anyway, um, or no, maybe, maybe this was Russian. Maybe this was Russian. I, I can't think now. Anyway, I, a, a pretty wide literature. He wanted me to do all the... Um, uh, the the preludes and fugues of Bach, the the second uh, book, even if I only just sight read them through, he wanted me to have them in my mind. And uh, uh, we did. We must have done at least three in the two years that I was with him. I think we did at least four Beethoven sonatas, three or four. One. Uh, one of the later ones, the Opus 110, I did with him. And he wanted me to do the homoclavier after I was already finished with my, my work. Uh, my, he said, uh, start with a fugue. <laughs> but I got out of it. <laughs> I never did it. So. Now, speaking of Florida, was that the first meeting with Fred? Where did you first lock eyes? Yes, Florida in, at Rollins was. And what the was the occasion? Where did you? He see came one down to look at the college from from uh, Dartmouth. He was in, at Dartmouth at the time as a freshman, and it wasn't going too well for him. He decided he wanted to be a music major, and they didn't have a music department. But the person that they had gotten to start a music department. Where did they happen to get that person? At Rollins. 
he had come from Rollins. And so he said to Fred, you know, I think you should go look at Rollins. It's a, it's a small college and they have an excellent music department. And just go take a look. So he did, and that's when I first laid eyes on him because uh, the professor at the music department told us to all, we should all go and just show him around. So we did. And the rest is and history. And he fitted in, and we just were happy as could be. So the rest is history, yeah. So you stayed together all that time. All you were married that time. 50 years? How 50 long? years, and a few months, yeah. Yeah. And advice for staying together? Gee. Oh, you know the <laughs> you know the advice. Have a good friendship. Well, uh, have you spoken with Tom Hanks about the next film? Not with Mr. Hanks, no. And I look forward. I hear that he is a wonderful person. Just couldn't be nicer or more helpful. So I look forward to meeting him one of these days. Uh, I have met the the director, a uh, young woman named, she, uh, I believe her name is Marielle. She goes by Maury, Maury Heller. And uh, one of the producers is Peter Saffer. And uh, they are both gonna be here this summer uh, to do some pre, uh, pre-production work. And have look around. Talked with you about the treatment, what the approach they're going to take. Uh, I know that I know the um, uh, I know the script. We were consulted on the script, and so I know the script. And it's it's pretty much the story of um, not a Fred. Well, it's a Fred, but it, it's really a story of Tom Janot, the writer journalist who came to interview Fred for Esquire magazine. The story of his life at that time, and uh, and the fact that he was a pretty cynical person, and uh, and he really didn't want to be interviewing this this person, this Fred Rogers, and uh, it it changed his life, and and you know it. It's a partial, it's partially fiction, you know. They've changed the story to somewhat. Uh, but pretty much it's about Tom and Fred. And there'll be some Pittsburgh locations, including WQED, I oh, hope. I, I expect there will. I, haven't, I think that's why she's coming, and, and both of them are coming. Or they'll be here three months to look around and see. You were living in Squirrel Hill for a lot of yes. the time when you were when, right. when Fred was working at WQED. That's right, but there was, you know, he he met Fred at the station and uh, interviewed him there. Then he just, he went back home and he tried to talk him way out of doing it. And, uh, and, and they said, you know, you're in no position to to, to say, you go back. And uh, so he's at the station on some scenes, 
Um, I think we're at a restaurant maybe in certain scenes. Uh, I think I appear only twice, maybe maybe just once. So I'm not, uh, people say to me, you know, who's gonna play you? <laughs> and I say, Anybody can do it. <laughs> But, but you didn't have a strong objection to the approach they were taking. No, no, no. Even though there's some fictional no. elements. You didn't say, oh, you can't do that. Fred no. would never have approved of that. <laughs> no. Uh, it was, it, it, it's fine. It took, uh, they're, they're delighted to just get a go on it, you know. So. Well, of course, Morgan Neville's film has come out so well Nicholas Ma the two of them working on it and uh, at the theater I I just the fun parts where there was laughter Nikki Tallow got some laughs you know know, uh, he also got them a PG-13 I think (laughs) which is surprising in a movie about Fred Rogers but there you have it I think actually he was he had kind of maybe forgotten and uh, Morgan had I think he was kind of surprised when he got that rating he had to think back, what? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. And, of course, there are a few people that are missing that I, where his neighbor Aber should have been in it, but you can't have everybody, I guess. It's just, I think it just must be impossible. Yeah. Um, I, so. had, I had forgotten about some of the things that made me sad. I couldn't believe at Fred's funeral there were protesters across the street suggesting that I, he was I part of a liberal conspiracy, saying the kids were spoiled because they were all told that they yes. were each special. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, 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 and Tom describes it so, uh, in, in such a fine way, I thought. And uh, he talks about looking at the children that were there, made to be there holding signs and how miserable they looked, how tired they looked, how exhausted. Um, And, you know, you could feel, but I never saw them at the time. I didn't, I knew about them, but I didn't see them. And I had pushed it out of my mind just because it was. I do that a lot. Oh, what would Fred say about all this? I, he'd have to be thrilled that his work is going on with uh, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood and that the company, the Fred Rogers yes. Company that bears his name, is so successful with three important programs on PBS and more in the, in, in the works. But the 50th yeah. anniversary has been so spectacular. I know. It has been. It has been. And, you know, I just, I, I hope it can be used. That's, that's what he hoped, that, it, that he could the wonderful prayer that usually it's ministers who pray may some word of mine be heard so well it's nice it, it must be i see lots of mementos of fred pictures around here uh, it, it must be helpful when you're missing someone so much to to, to have such a, a beautiful positive memory well it, and jim you know he's so available to me uh, you know, in in many ways, the people who, rem- the friends, you, uh, you know, it, it, I do have friends who didn't know him. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Max King, who never, met, well, no, Max did meet him once. Max did meet him, but didn't really know him that well. But now he but does because he's written the book, right? You did. Hey, of course, yes. And uh, and I have lots of friends who really did know him well. Yeah. well. Of course, I remember just hanging around in his 
office, sure. uh, you know, which or was him special. hanging around in yours. <laughs> he would come in with yes, his little notepad did. to ask, yes. what was that Brahms Requiem? <laughs> I want a copy of that. Who was that conductor? I'd, I'd like to get that. Yes. It was just amazing. And he would roll the window down. He'd come down the driveway and roll the window down, and he'd turn the volume up on the radio and say, <laughs> see, I'm listening. I always thought that was so great. Really, really wonderful. So he is oh, with he us. Oh, he loved you. He That's loved for you. sure. Well, uh, I, I thought he would always be around. I cannot believe he's gone, but he is with us still. He is. He is. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Bless and, you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. And I hope to talk to you again when the Tom Hanks film comes out. All we must right. Discuss it it's, a it it's a date. It's a date. Uh, what was it, 143? 143, or 243 is fine, too. <laughs> I love you. That's <laughs> right. We all love you, Joanne. Aww, Bless you for all the you. great work you're doing. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. And to you.